is that so sad? seems to be in front of you confirms your interpretation. And uh, 
I would call this the generosity, uh, the generosity of existence, that we all can really look at life and just say, okay, uh, what I think is right. <laughs> I wish everyone else would think like me. And uh, at a certain point in your life, you kind of start to doubt that and say, well, how can that be? Because uh, everyone's, everyone's got their own interpretation. And so then what I'm saying is a part of the formula, the interpretation uh, is either arbitrary or not so important, is not, ha not such importance as we give it. And what's out there, well, I, I don't even know if we know what's out there. You know, what is this life? I mean, we're so focused on our interpretation that maybe we're not even noticing what's out there. And these are some of the invitations we want to talk about this morning. Uh, we're really lucky we've got somebody that talks real plain language. And uh, once in a while I get in here with people that I really want to kind of put some kind of number on you. And uh, this is my good friend, Paul Hederman. We've known each other for about a year. Uh, welcome, Paul. And well, coming from uh, San Francisco. Yep. So we're making an invitation, an invitation to just take a second look at life or just to see, notice the how interpretations somehow just kind of take over our life and, uh, and the ease of that is just maybe to notice what we're told or, or actually the testimony is that you can know life without an interpretation or without interpretation being in the, pre, uh, the first primo piano, like the first, uh, the first phase yeah. of your attention, you know, just all that takes up your attention. Well, for me, it's just looking at what's happened to you here. If you're traveling well, then keep doing what you think you're doing. For me, that wasn't the case. I, uh, and because of that, because of the suffering that my way of looking at life entailed and my solutions to that suffering, which created more suffering, maybe I was brought to a point to sort of uh, reinvestigate what was going on. And what I saw was like you were saying, it was your interpretation. I found out, to me, it wasn't really my interpretation, that I'm a product of an interpretation. I'm a product of a mental process that's been conditioned through what I was brought up as, and also genetically, I imagine. And that interpretation is that there's a long-lasting, independent, separate entity called Paul here, mostly because of the identification as being a body and that system of thought and interpretation, I call it self-centeredness. And I suffered from an extreme case of self-centeredness that produced a lot of consequences in my life, seeking relief from it. And those consequences took up a lot of my time. I was put into a... For me, my solutions uh, created a magnetic appeal to people in uniform. I started to get in a lot of trouble attempting to get my solutions. And the consequences just kept building up, but the consequences weren't enough to convince me to stop doing what I was doing because I was willing to pay any consequence tomorrow, not to feel uncomfortable now. And in the state that I was seemingly in, I was uncomfortable. 
what happened with me is that state is called self-centeredness, and obviously the way it says it is the is is the way it's built. It's all centered on this idea of being a self. And when I questioned that, who was this Paul, I started getting some relief because I didn't find anyone there. And what I saw was I was really just reacting to an interpretation by my mind concerning the conscious contact that I actually am. So my experience of conscious contact here is that there is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. I may have forgotten one or added one there. And that's the conscious contact. That's living. That's how I'm engaged with this place we call the world. That's how I meet it. I smell it, feel it, taste it, touch it, and uh, hear it. And also my mind thinks about it. That's a sixth sense. In Buddhism they call the mind a, a sense, just like seeing. But the mind sees thoughts like an eye sees a bird if it flies by the window or something. This conscious contact, my mental process, reacts to that conscious contact and says, I'm in conscious contact. I'm the one who's hearing. I'm the one who feel, who's feeling. I'm the one who's tasting. I'm the one who's thinking. And also, I'm the one who's thinking. And when that happens, I forget the feeling of being alive, that conscious contact, which is totally rooted in what's happening now, and I live an interpretation about what that conscious contact means, and that meaning has been given by self-centeredness. And it is not a unique, random, organic system. Many of us are saddled by it. We look at life as how it pertains to us, and we have a difficult time seeing it any other way. And this apparatus while this is going on, has ability to give meaning to things. That's why we call it a subjective experience. So I could look at this glass, and I'm feeling pretty good today. The glass isn't a problem. I can look at the glass tomorrow. I'm not feeling too good. It is a problem. I can look at the glass the next day. I'm feeling good. It isn't a problem. What is it? Is it so a problem? So the interpretation or goes up and down. Based I mean, on be, where you're at. In other words, and where you're at. But, I mean, you were saying, like, uh, a problem or like the self-centeredness is created by saying that this contact with what's out there and, uh, smelling tasting and so on your five senses and the sixth sense thought and maybe a seventh sense your feelings uh, no the self-centeredness isn't made by that yeah the self-centeredness no. claims it it says I'm it the claims one. it no yes. but I'm what I'm saying is that uh, somehow it just seems natural to say that's I to who now, I don't know to the to the same eye that that's not that's what's never questioned. Well, that's why it, you're you're taking it to be natural. But to who? Who is it natural? Not to question that the eye itself, and the eye is to me is that false installment. It's a it's a product of a mental process. The mental process, the brain and the mind, what we call the mental process, produces a product called the sense of being a self a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, reinforced by your perception of a body. That sense of a self, the first movement that it has in it, that mental process, is to claim what's ever going on. Instead of seeing that they're seeing, you think it's I'm seeing. <coughs> Same thing with thinking. This is what drives people crazy. A thought is just a thought until it becomes my thought. As soon as there's an identification as the thinker of it, that thought has a lot of meaning because you believe the thought's bringing you meaning, but the identification as Paul downloads meaning into the thought. 
all of your old conditioning, all your old beliefs, all your old ideas, it's as if when there's conscious contact and the mental process arises and says, I'm in conscious contact, that I is attached to tons of files that download yeah, into that event. And then that download gets projected and gives meaning to that thought or what you saw or what you heard or what you felt or what you taste. That is the interpretative event. Yeah. So anyhow, you know, I mean... Uh it, that's real clear because I mean there's so many thoughts that we don't claim because I mean you're out, uh, you're going down the street and there's uh, thousands of things happening and we only claim ten or twenty things that happened on the on the way to the studio and uh, so then somehow that eye mechanism or that identification says that's my thought I thought that and some other thoughts you know maybe uh, I don't know the streetcar is noisy today. I mean, we, who cares? You know, it just goes in and out, and we don't even register it. And so let's say someone comes here and talks about their thoughts, yeah, and they talk to us about their thoughts. We would have incredible wisdom about their thoughts. So if someone's saying, hey, I'm thinking of, you know, robbing that bank this afternoon. I think I have a really good plan. I have a pair of pampas. I'm going to put them on and I'm rushing and, you know, get the money. And you're going, hey, wait a minute, bro. I think you should reconsider this. This is a sort of a wild, crazy set of thoughts you're having. But I may be having a similar set of thoughts, and I'm thinking they're incredibly genius-like. What's the difference? I have an immunity to his thoughts because they're his. I don't have much immunity to these thoughts because they're held as mine. There's a claiming of those thoughts. When you say they're his, in other words, they're held as his. That's right. So I have wisdom about it because they're not mine. Separation See, or my, back or, my ideas yeah. of Paul don't download when it comes to his thoughts. My ideas of Paul, which I'm very unconscious of, you are conditioned up the wazoo, basically. My, my ideas of Paul are, are, are attached to when there's a claiming of the thought. Then they give meaning to the thought based on their old conditioning. I don't give meaning to his thoughts based yeah. on my old meaning conditioning. Meaning in blindness, in a way. Exactly, it's blindness because it's an interpretation. While you're actually living, while you're in conscious contact, you're, you're being cut off from that, and you're living an interpretation by a mental process. And that mental process is very small and defined. Yeah, and it's actually something not to rely on. Look at your life. I mean, what's up, what happens when you have a problem and you go home and think about it? You come out of the room with ten more problems. The problem is the thinking. Not so much the problem you think you need to go home to think about. It's the problem is the thinking about it. Yeah? Because the downloading of ideas, old ideas, we're not really living here. We're living in interpretation. We're in a time delay. There's the conscious contact. Then there's the reaction of mind to it, and then the mind claims the conscious contact and uses it to make up a story, yeah, which is always the past coming from your memory. You've never had a thought ever in your life. All you have is seen thoughts, and they're like, they're like stale popcorn from an old popcorn maker. Yeah? Stimuli affects your conditions, your conditions, thoughts arise, you see them, and then your, your identification as that self, there's a claiming of those thoughts as yours, and then you're bound to the idea of those thoughts. That's called being bonded to the, the the bondage to a self. Yeah. And if you're having a great time and your chains to that self are gold, go ahead, polish them. If you're not, there's a solution. You're not that. Yeah. So anyhow, let's look at how life could look. Is like if even my thoughts were just like 
your thoughts. In other words, you said, if you come to me and have some thoughts, I've got incredible wisdom. So somehow, if, if my thoughts were separate enough that it was just as if it was coming through you or another body, it yeah. might be incredible wisdom about my exactly. about my thoughts or about my interaction with the, what do you call it, the interface or the... Exactly. Uh, In other words, there would be a response, not a reaction. A reaction is past information responding to, let's say, a new event. Yeah, It's a reaction. There's, a, there's an ability to respond to the event. It's called being alive. Right, and yeah. we all have it. It's all the, the the potential is there, but if you're bonded to this idea of self, you'll be unconscious to that potential. During the broadcast, we can take some calls, so we'll, uh, we'll be putting up the number from now. And I don't know if we've got a kind of a handle on what we're talking about, or if you've got a question about it. Sometimes it's hard to just present something like this uh, as a dead presentation, you know, and just say, okay, well, here's what I think, you know. And it's sometimes easier to uh, respond to somebody that has a question. And remember, this is just an invitation. I don't, you know, I, it's, there is no presumption here that this could help you or not. It's just an invitation. I believe you have the right to hear it. You know, you can do what you want with it. Right, in- invitation. Let's talk a little bit about openness uh, to hear this, to hear something new. Because you said if if your chains are golden and you love them, uh, keep polishing them. In other words, if your concepts and your interpretations seem to be taking you where you want to go, then maybe you don't want to hear anything else, or there's no room for anything yeah. else, or there's no need for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, seriously, that this is not a draft. You know, no, you're not being not conscripted into this. It's just an invitation. Maybe if your life is going super well, you'll probably have no interest in this. Maybe if things don't seem to be working, like for me, I remember I used to, all my relationships with women never seemed to work well. And then one day I looked at all those relationships, and there was one constant in all those relationships. It was me, actually. <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't with the same woman every time. It was yeah, me. It was you, so, my tendency of this mind is to blame others for the, the way I'm feeling, but it actually doesn't work that way. You may get a little relief of, in, the, in the act of blaming, but this, there's no solution to it. This That's dilemma seems, keeps on continuing. So I just found something that worked, and how I know it works is because I'm traveling lighter through the terrains of my day. Yeah? And it's been like an all-terrain vehicle. It's been durable over the years. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if someone's on the phone. Hello, Richard. Hello, Paul. This is Andrew Nelson. Your show is very important. I think the most important thing is truth. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther King said um, that the contents of human character are essentially aspects of human virtue. For example, truthfulness being the foundation of all human virtue. So, Andrew, the way I interpret truth is just like really what's what's out there, you know, what is uh, before interpretation, because Interpretation is always kind of like going to be personal toward the truth. Well, the personal reputation of the individual as it relates to his personal truthfulness and trustworthiness um, is key because then it's someone that we can depend on who is going to always be there to give us meaningful, efficacious truth. Yeah, you'll never get that guarantee as a self <laughs> because it's. Because self is is built on in on a movement called duality. So there's truth and falsehood in all of self. 
Yeah, so in a sense, a point of view is true. And yet, because it's a point of view, it's false. So in other words, in a way, there can't be a truth without falseness, because otherwise Here. there's no need for it. There's universal reality, which is true. Yeah, and that's, that you can live from, but you can never know. Yeah, So you live from that truth. And then there's an expression of the truth through your apparatus, but you can't know it, because that would make it an object to you as the subject. And there is no subject. In other words, you can't separate yourself from it, from no. it to say, oh, there is truth, there's no. an object. That's not you my, are that's truth, not my you know? sense of it. Yeah. yeah, You are that truth. And that's the recognition. For me, it's just telling the truth about what I'm not, and that's the activity of what I am. That awareness has the ability to recognize what it's not. Yeah. So when I tell the truth about what I'm not, and it's not me telling the truth, when there's the truth is told about what I'm not, that's the activity of what I am. That's living that. Yeah? Because that awareness illuminates what seems to be cloudy. So you see, instead of seeing from what you're not, you see what you're not. And that to uh, me is So what we're always doing when you said download, uh, we're, we're trying to live from what I'm not. And so then it's, not, it's just not true. It just won't work. Well, you have, the only thing you do is living gets replaced by an interpretation. Because what you're not is what you're not. It's contrived. It's a mental process. Yeah? And so, obviously, it's an interpretation. So, every interpretation is sort of uh, the verb of life gets more conceptualized and made into nouns and made into ideas that are rigid and solid. There's no movement in that. To me, uh, the experience of living from truth is very economical. It pairs you down. You don't have a huge wealth of wisdom. You just know what to do next. Yeah? And all this stuff, it's very, very, very fluid. It's, it's extremely verbing to me. Let's go into that a little bit, because you just said that quickly. You know, the verb of life gets, it gets made into a noun. So noun is, is like uh, an object or the interpretation. Exactly. Oh, this is that. Oh, there's, there's a tree. Oh, this is a chair. So the verb isn't seen. The verb is seen as it's happening to a noun. So let's say when we make, we make a... So there's the verb of living... And then there's an assumption that this is a noun, this is me. I am the subject, that's living. Living is happening to me. It's totally a point of view. And I'm not saying it's true or not, just look at its roots. Are you happy with that point of view of looking at life as how it, that it's always happening to me? Where does all victimhood hood arise from, that point of view? You know, about verb and noun, I think you said it last night, because you said, okay, somebody sees running water, and they said, okay, I'm going to call it a river. So, you know, it's really just a verb, running water, and a river is kind of a concept. Yeah. It's a, you know, take a bucket of it and say, okay, look, I got river here. No, sorry, you don't. That's right, you don't. It's just an idea. But the feeling of the river is the experience of it, yeah? So when you're in the water and it's moving, you're getting the true essence of what we're t attempting to represent by the word river. You're experiencing the verb of it, yeah? Right. Not an idea of it. Not an idea of the verb, but the verb. So, t for me, it's not to learn about living, it's living. Yeah? Get a sense of what it's like to be consciously in contact, and you'll have some discrimination about what you're not. You'll see what you're not. You'll see it, because it's, it's a reaction to, to conscious contact. Yeah? And so, if, the conscious, if consciousness is in contact, consciousness can also see... The reaction to conscious contact, yeah. 
You can be conscious of what's appearing, and in that being conscious of it, you will see that it's not you. And that's the immunity to being at the effects of what's not happening. Do you have another question, Andrew? I guess he's, he's, he's gone. Andrew, okay, thank okay. you. Thank you, Andrew. So, be it at the effect of what's not happening. Let's try to go through that a little, because sometimes you can say, because it's a little bit uh, uh, confusion, confusion prone. But, I mean, what's not happening is my interpretation. So, uh, there's another person on the phone. Let's just see what they have to say. Hello? Uh, yes, I would just like to ask a question to the guy, Paul. He's so good at, at, at explaining things. I just wanted to ask him, if you have a problem, how do you in, do the interpretation? Do you just uh, have no thoughts about it, or do you let time take care of it? Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, I don't know what what kind of what will happen if there's a problem because uh, I don't have any uh, written rules of how to deal with a problem. I just all, the way I enter into that relationship with the problem, there, it's it's not me that's in relation to the problem. <laughs> that's the, see for me the inherent real problem is the idea of being the me. The prob the problem out here is secondary. So if I see the initial problem is not me, I tend to have a new way of looking at the problem that's the appearing. Problem, right. yes. the appearing. But when I'm looking at a problem from a problem, it's, it doesn't really beg for much solution. It doesn't In other words, like sometimes solutions. you say that that first problem of the looking from a me is like the, the main knot that, that contains all the problems. That's right. That's right. And somehow if you can loosen that one, all the other ones seem to... I forgot the lady's name, but there's a, there is an activity that this apparatus does, which is it gives meaning to things. You don't have a choice in that matter. This is what this does. That's what so mine does, right? I'm giving meaning to problems. So there may be, quote, unquote, a problem, but what really is adding a lot of the weight to the problem is the meaning that is being given through me. And if I'm identified as self, where those meanings are going to come from are from a system called self-centeredness. And those meanings are going to really add a lot of weight to the problem. And they're going to add time to the problem. And they're going to bring memory to the problem. And they're going to present a, or project a future about more problems. Another thing they're going to bring is like repetition. And uh, then you're going to say, well, this thing, I'm stuck. Because then you'll see that the same problems come up from the same kind of uh, consciousness or the same conditioning. And then, then you get the idea of stuckness, and then you say, oh, this is even more serious because it was just a little problem before, but after 20 times, it's got to, it must be, why is this always happening to me? So if you, have, if you are in a feeling of st stuckness and it seems to get chronic, what are you going to do? You're going to seek relief, yeah? You're going to seek relief. You're going to spend money you may not have. You're going to get drunk. You're going to do this. You're going to act out. Maybe sleep with your best friend's wife. Who knows? But a whole new set of problems are going to ensue <laughs> from how you read the first problem. <laughs> you know, I noticed it all the time when people go, they talk to me and they say, I'm going to go home and think about this. I'll even offer them to go to a movie with them because yeah, I know I think. if they go home and think about it, they're going to spawn about 10 more problems in the thinking of it because the thinking is a very failed system. All the thoughts that we think we're having or the thoughts that we notice here are coming out of a specific popcorn maker called self-centeredness. You cannot think outside memory, the right? box. Our you old can't, memory exactly. bank. Our old 
You can't think outside the box. You're going to get Orville pop, you know, auto redbacker thoughts Redbacker every thoughts freaking every time. time right? There's no way you're going to transcend yeah, that. The machine is not going to go out outside of that. It's not going to pop cranberries, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you're tired of watching the movie of life with those stale pieces of popcorn from Orville, <laughs> then maybe, just maybe, you can entertain I'm not that center of that system self, because that's what binds you to the products of the system of self, is being identified as the center of self. So to answer the question, and, and more or less, we just stand back from the problem, or what? Just let it. I don't know what will happen problem. at that time. If it seems like it's a real problem, and it seems like the house is on fire, I'm going to maybe find a pail of water. Another time, I'll see the house and I'll recognize that's not really going on, and then I won't need a pail of water. I don't know what. Maybe it'll be peeling, and you'll say, "I'll get a pail of paint." Who knows? <laughs> you don't know. No, but it doesn't stop your action either, because no, no. I mean, we're in action all the time. That's part of. Well, you're an action figure here. Yeah. We're all like, you know, li living little action figures on this board game. <laughs> like giant pump bump, bumper cars are running into each other constantly. You know? <laughs> but you're not that. That's the good news. I mean, what allows you to have a life is your awareness of it. You know? Maybe the awareness is what life is, not you having it. That's a great question. What allows you to have a life? What I allows mean, you to have a life? You have to be one, conscious to know way, We kind of have the possibility to um, make up thoughts and make up interpretations. And somehow that allows us to have the life that we're, we're thinking we have. See, but if thoughts are made up, they're defined by the system they're from. So self-centeredness has a certain set of thoughts. You're not going to transcend them. You're not going to have a new thought, ever. <laughs> They're just, they're just being rehashed from the same system. The beauty of it is you have the possibility of leaving the system because you actually truly have never been in the system. You've just been sort of wearing it like a helmet. So you've been breathing the atmosphere it creates. Look at what it does. People constantly are dwelling in what's not happening through thought. In other words, everything you're thinking is not happening. Exactly. It's removed from what's happening. In exactly. Other words, you called it the... The conscious contact is like what's out there. It's your sense, sensory perception of what's out there. See, there's thoughts when you're working on a car. Those are practical thoughts. It says, turn the nut left, yeah? And so you have the wrench, you turn it on, yes. But then when the mind starts going, shh, I think I could have done that better. I did a really terrible job with that nut. Oh, no, I think that guy did, did a much better job with that yeah. nut. That's the insanity of self-centeredness. That's what you get relying on that system of thought. You get a lot, a lot of fluff that drives you incredibly insane. Yeah? And every once in a while, it has some practical thoughts about it, how to put one and one into two yeah? and start something up. So in other words, like what, uh, some things we said in the very beginning when we've said, like, if somebody else comes to me and with their thoughts, I have incredible wisdom about their thoughts. So if somehow I'm not playing the self game, all thoughts, even the ones that are flowing here, just seem like something out there and they seem practical and or I have a appropriateness to, toward those thoughts. Well, the, for me, the, the simple recognition is this. When you're actually in aware of the conscious contact, you will see when thoughts present what's not happening as what's not happening. Oh, you'll see that it's not happening. A and that's the immunity and to it. And it's kind of lightness, you know. Well, that's a good Because what solution could you have about being absorbed in what's not happening? There's nothing you can do except admit it's not happening. That's the solution. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other solution. If you start trying to think about how can I fix what's not happening, you've missed the underlying quality 
which is it's not happening. Yeah. That's what occurs. You start recognize when the thoughts go into the past or the future, into these little like dwelling mental houses of what's not happening, and you become the like the guest of that house. So now you're you're reacting to next Friday, and next Friday you can have cancer because anything can happen in what's not happening. Yeah. So well, you get one little hint yeah. that you may be losing your job, and you go home and you think about it, and you're basically destitute by next Friday, but it's actually being experienced now in your body. You're worried about, you're experiencing the mental equivalent of fear, which is anxiety, and you're reacting physically to an impending threat, but it's not happening. Yeah. So then, any, in other words, what's not happening means that uh, we have the idea it's going to happen. You know, or it could happen. Or exactly. It really, it really and that's more happened so important. many times before, you know. But the thing is... And how we, do I break this pattern? We don't give it a good... We don't have a good quality because we're not really aware of what's happening. So that's not a good measuring or an anti or an antidote to what's happening. So what could be happening or what should be happening or what did happen seems to be really as important as what's happening because we don't have that quality of what's happening. What so do we don't have any. We don't know how to hold it up against what's not happening. What's not happening seems to have a lot of weight with us because we're not anchored in what's happening. See, when you're not anchored in what's happening, you'll be, you'll be, uh, you'll have a tendency to be affected by what's not happening greatly. But the antidote to what's not happening is what's happening. So when you say anchored in it, what comes to me is like, uh, what's happening right now doesn't require a thought. And we're holding up a bunch of thoughts from the past and the probable future and just plain anxiety. And we're trying to measure it with what's happening, which doesn't even have a thought. And it just seems like, well, it doesn't measure up. Well, the thing is, it's not us doing it. See, that's the solution. It's the mental process. And you are not the mental process. If you're anything, I would, I would believe what you truly are is being expressed in conscious contact. I believe you're the consciousness that's in contact. The expression of it? Did you I think you're the expression. expression. The expression of being of consciousness in contact is now. Yeah. Hearing, feeling, say, I would say we're more of that than thinking about what we are, or thinking about what we were, or thinking about what we're going to be, all basically rooted in identifying as a body. A body is sort of an object that allows life to be expressed here, but it's not what's expressing life. You can have a dead body and every part of it works, and yet it's not working. What happened? The animating principle is left. That's what enlivens a life. That's what gives... That's what turns the whole production on, like this stage, is the light of consciousness. How can you believe you are something other than that, when it's the mother and father of everything that you call your life? You wouldn't have any thoughts. You wouldn't be able to see any thoughts. You wouldn't be able to have any feelings without consciousness, without the awareness of ha contact. So the conscious contact, to me, is the true birth of me every moment. And that has been sort of hijacked and a changeling has been put in its place called Paul, this just huge catacomb of ideas and thoughts and old conditioning represented as a body. And all the time is given to that. The attention is thrown on that... Uh, of course, because you think it's you. And no attention is that the other... The, because it's not you. Is, what's real is starved. Well, it can't be starved. It doesn't need any it food. It doesn't need any food. You, right? sure I mean, need it, so you sure need your attention to be on it. It would be very helpful to you here to be attending or be conscious of consciousness. It would have a great dramatic effect on how you travel here. 
but you have no effect on it whatsoever. You can huff and puff, you're never going to blow that conscious house down. It's impossible. You don't leave any effect on consciousness. It's not a thing. It doesn't have a, a, a surface to scar. It doesn't take any impressions. It's not a, like a negative. It's nothing, no thing. It's consciousness. It's, it's illumination. It's light. You are that light that's allowing you to think you're not. What a gift. Yeah. I would just, you know, for me, it's really practical. It's like if you're traveling heavy and it's not really working blaming everyone else for it <laughs> because, it's, because, you know, the people you're thinking so badly of, they're probably not thinking about you at all today. <laughs> you're having absolutely no effect on them whatsoever. They're just jollying, running, running around. I mean, to take stock of what's going on. And if it, if it seems to be everything's going on to you, maybe you're not that you it's going on to. And maybe that would change how you interpret what's going on. Maybe you could see life in a different way if you didn't think it was happening to you so much. Yeah, who knows? For me, it works. That's why I'm in Chicago at 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> well, I've noticed that too, you know. Just, I've just noticed that you don't even have to take a position about it. You could just see that the, it's getting looser. And yeah. uh, really, the identification is getting looser, and it really doesn't matter that much. Uh, whether my ideas are proved right or whether they're wrong or whether they improve or whether they actually are dead failures. Uh, it just seems like life is easier to live and uh, and more opportunities uh, come. And actually, I don't even think the opportunities come. I think the opportunities are all here. And it's just my blinders. When they get off just a little bit, I could say, oh, there's one. I'll grab it. You know, yes, I'll go there. I could do that. I could do this TV show today. Hey, I could invite uh, Paul to come to Chicago. There's so many things you should forget do. that idea. Forget no, that one, you know. No. Stay in bed, right? Yeah. <laughs> 10.30. And that comes up again, say no to that idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just about traveling lighter, yeah. If you want to be right about traveling heavy, go ahead. <laughs> you know, just, I'd rather just travel light. If I'm, stu- if, I'm su- if I'm dying of thirst, I don't care if the guy's bringing it with a green shirt or a red shirt. I'm going to grab the water and drink it. I don't, I don't want to be right. That's what happens. See, if you have an idea about life, and you're going to from self-centeredness, you're going to have preconceived ideas of how things are going to look. And so maybe you have a desire to be loved or to get acknowledged or just to feel like a, a sense of belonging. But that's not enough for self-centeredness, that urge or that desire. It has an idea of how it has to look. And so when that package comes and it doesn't look like it's in the package you thought, you will probably say no to that delivery. Yeah, this no, life or is maybe giving you everything. Maybe you'll ignore it or maybe you won't even see it. Of course or? you won't because you have a preconceived idea. That's exactly the dilemma here. Life is bringing a lot of things at all times in all directions, but you have an idea of how it's supposed to look like, where it's supposed to come, when it's supposed to come, and you miss the deliveries all day. And then you have a story about how I, I've never gotten anything, I've never been loved and everything like that. Love's been all around you probably, you just haven't seen it because you're blind, because you've got a, you're stuck with a way of looking called self-centeredness. It wants to be right. It's very important for self-centeredness to be right. If, as, if it has a belief that you suck or you're a loser, it has an incredible drive to make sure that it's right if about you're a that. loser. Yes. Mm. It's just using you and me for transportation, seriously. I mean, it wants to be right. You know, that's something to look at. I mean, 
What's, what's the point of that? I have no idea. I think it's to get some relevance, because it's irrelevant. For me, this mental system, I believe, is almost like a parasite. It's like a, a foreign installment. Yeah? The host has forgotten it's the host, and that reminder of the, the quality of being the host is conscious contact. So we're out to lunch. The self-centeredness replaces the conscious contact with an interpretation of the conscious contact. So what we call life, or my life, is an interpretation of life. Yeah. That, that foreign installment, that parasite, doesn't have a life. So it gets the sense of a life by having yours. Yeah. And it's a very hostile takeover. You tell me how many people are happy, joyous, and free walking around Chicago today. Or well, many of them are probably hoping that maybe some day, or maybe later tonight, they may have some happiness, joy, and freedom. But if they stop right now at every street corner and just was stopped in that pause, their mind reaction to that pause would be dissatisfaction. So they're moving and driving and shopping and doing this. They get some to try to find something to satisfy that deep sense of dissatisfaction that we're traveling as each moment. And that is while it's feeding on us. This parasite feeds on the host, yeah? And it takes the host's life and it uses it to express itself through. And one of its forms of expressing is to be right about its ideas because its ideas are like its flesh and blood. It wants to be right about how it's it views people. It doesn't have exactly. any flesh and blood and it's just got ideas. It, it builds a sense of flesh and blood by you believing it's you. You lend it its credibility. I love what you said, you know, stop on every street corner and where's your satisfaction? It, it, what will come in your mind is I've got to get these things done. And I've got to get two more done, and I don't have time, and there's traffic out there. And you won't even be stopping that. There's no way to stop on the street corner. Exactly. You don't stop. Because you're in seeking constantly, seeking, 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 seeking. Why haven't you found yet? If the seeking, if what you were seeking had the true authenticity to radically shift you, then why are you still seeking Don't you have the ability to respond to satisfaction? Or is it always overridden for the search, for the seeking? This thing is ravenous. It thrives in the sense of seeking. It doesn't thrive in peace and resting and relaxation. It loves excitement. that look, It likes the boredom that looks exciting. It's the same old, same old, but it gets excited about it. In a way, it's quick here. this is an invitation. So, in a way, everyone tells us to keep going. Keep going and go get those Who's things. Not, who's everybody? I don't know. School is okay. Go to school. I mean, what are they teaching you? They're teaching you how to, uh, how to get a job and how to uh, re make goals and how to reach them. And that, uh, you know, no matter what, uh, you can apply yourself. And it's like that inherent fear of that you won't have a job and you won't get this. Everything is underlined by fear. Fear of what you're going to lose or what you have, and then you're not going to, and you're not going to be able to keep. It's always based on fear. All seeking is motivated through fear, in a sense. You know, when's enough is enough? School's fine. All this stuff is fine. But can, is there, isn't there a way that could, you could travel through all of these things a little lighter? I mean, for me, the pursuit of happiness is really exhausting. Yeah? I would much rather just realize I am the source of happiness, then I can sort of leisurely walk on the pursuit. <laughs> or you can run or walk or sit well, down. That's right. Or maybe just uh, contribute to others. Who knows? See, in this reality to me, this 
spiritual dimension, if you want to call it. You have things by giving it away. You have it by giving it away. It's so much of you, there's no need to privatize it. It's so much of you, there's no need to sort of like partition it out and give portions out. You can be all of you at each moment because there's a lot of you. The other self-centeredness is a scavenger. It's seeking. It's looking for things. It's looking for shiny objects. It's looking for this. It's looking for mementos. It's looking for scalps. It's looking for that to create a sense of having a life because it doesn't feel like it has a life. It's also very limited, so you dole it out very... Of course, because you're afraid if I give something away, I won't have enough. So I can't give away my time, I can't give my attention, I can't give this, I've got to be very, very organized who am I going to give attention to. You ever go to a doctor in a clinic in a city? I have. And it's not them. The system is, they walk in, when they walk in the room to see you, they've actually already walked out. You have to drag their attention to be present to sort of address your situation because the system is not about addressing your situation. It's about addressing situations. And it's like a conveyor belt. It's very difficult to get their attention. Hey, I'm a human being who has a bad leg right now and it's affecting my whole day of traveling. Will you give me the 15 minutes while you're supposed to be in this room instead of checking off, I've seen this, then going to the next appointment. This is what life is like here. It's a constant movement, searching, 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 searching for freaking what? So it's if not it was the doctor, high, you would it's have just found. our minds. It's the system. It's a system of uh, identification, a system of mental uh, apparatus. Check it out. Tell me. Tell me, do you, have, do you have... Sometimes the greatest moments of intimacy I have is when I go through a toll booth for that 30 seconds of looking at that person. And I have more intimacy change, for them because there's a safety. I won't be there in a minute and they won't be there in a minute. Someone who I'm living with, I have more intimacy with that toll booth operator at times. This is a disease. It's a dis-ease. And just because everyone has it and we're used to it, and there's all these pseudo-placebo you know, solutions that keep us living in a hope that someday I'm going to arrive and everything I've done is going to really translate into me feeling happy, joyous, and free for a long period of time. Has it worked? Every time have you arrived, have you actually been able to stop and lay down and relax in that arrival? Or is it like, oh, time to get up to look for the next arrival? You know? <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a modality of mind I've, I'd like to express from yeah. self-centeredness. And this is called the here-there modality for me. The here modality is this. I'm in my little one-bedroom apartment. And everything's fine. I'm feeling pretty good. I took a shower. Everything's good. And there's a magazine there. And I open up the magazine. I'm reading it. And there's a big uh, full-page layout for a, uh, an advertisement for a couch. Yeah. So my mind sees the couch. And then it looks around the room and realizes it's couchless. There's no couch in this one-bedroom apartment. And then suddenly, my head gets very dissatisfied, which when I was just totally at peace about a minute ago. But now that it noticed, hey, I could have a couch, and I don't have a couch, it starts feeling irritable, restless, and discontent. And so it starts saying, I, all those people I know who have couches, they've never told me how important it is to have a couch. And you start resenting those people for not informing you. And then you start thinking... If I had a couch, I may have—I may conceive my first child on that couch with my girlfriend. You don't even have a girlfriend yet, but you're already assuming. So the mind starts really pumping up a huge meaning in having a couch in, in a way of invalidating the couchless state. 
So where you find yourself isn't good enough, so you start seeking. And every moment in self-centeredness where you find yourself will never be truly good enough. It may be good enough for half a second, but it won't be good sooner or later. Very usually sooner. So there it goes. So now I make the couch there. And I go, if I get a couch, all these wonderful things are going to happen in my life. My life is going to be so fulfilling with that couch. And conversely, because I don't have a couch, my life is unfulfilling. This is the interpretation of that. You're totally neutral. It could be great that day. But now, nope. Until I get that couch, every day is just waiting for that freaking couch. Yeah. So now I start working and I save my money and I'm looking at other couches and colors and swatches and stuff. And then the day arrives. I'm telling all my friends and they're not seemingly as excited as me about the couch, you know, because probably they've gone through the same dilemma. But I'm uniquely seeing myself as special. Now this couch is going to put me over the top. It may not have put them over the top, but me it is. So the day comes, they bring the couch over here. <laughs> as soon as I get on the couch, I have this great rush. Oh, man, I'm on the couch. And then about four minutes later, I realize i got to get a rug to match the couch. So that mythical there that was going to be the solution to all these unimportant here's now becomes a here. The couch state is you now a here. And now it's the rugless state. Yeah. On and on and on and on and on and on and on. You think you're going to arrive and be at peace, have you? If it hasn't happened now, I wouldn't expect it to happen later. <laughs> this is just an invitation. Maybe you want to look at what's running your life. If you're happy with its results, then keep the managerial team in place. If you're not, there's a way out, realizing you're not that. We're actually doing some meetings uh, this weekend. Got a little in my place in Forest Park, actually, and uh, we uh, uh, we're gonna do a meeting from four to six today, and then tomorrow on Sunday we're gonna have uh, noon to two, and then another four to six, and you can just come and check it out. Is that much? My yeah, my number's probably up on the. My, I think my cell phone's up on the uh, right, it's, uh, and you can give me a call and get directions. And uh, also, nevernothere.com, uh, if you go to nevernothere.com, and uh, the last, second to last tab is called Schedules, if you can get on a computer, and Schedules Events will give the address, but it's close to Harlem and Roosevelt, so Harlem is like uh, the blue line stop, Harlem, and uh, Paul's also got a, a website that uh, he asked me to, to tell you what it is, it's called uh, the... Zen bitch slap. So we, you dot know, dot, dot com. So <laughs> uh, Zen bitch slap. You know, that Buddhism sometimes has koans, and one koan yeah, is. Uh, no, they just leave it at that. Yeah. That's good. Uh, right. Okay, that's uh, one way to get a hold of Paul. But if you go to nevernothere.com, there's links to Paul's website. So if you don't remember that, and uh, so we've had a uh, good time talking. Uh, in the past, and I'm sure tomorrow and this afternoon will be great too. People can ask questions. I think we have time for another phone call if someone wants to call in. Uh, we might have about eight minutes or something like that, or six minutes. And uh, so, interpretation in a way is kind of like uh, it's a little tricky if we totally rely only on interpretation. And interpretation, again, is what we call what's not happening or what's not here. It's just a story about what we think is here. 
Yeah, if you're happy with it, live in the story. We tell the story over and over. It has a, a certain repetition to it because it's our story, and you know we keep bringing up the same things. Somehow they're not finished. They're not. Uh, they're still important to us, and so then they repeat. And uh, it could be just thoughts about how our life is running. It could be our relationships seem to repeat. You know, somehow we people that get divorced tend to get divorced several times. Can I add something? I wanted yeah, to say something. This is a simple way to experience obsessing with what you're not is is your interest and your attention is drawn into thoughts about you. Let's say there's a woman in the other room that I'm interested in and I want to and I'd like to hear what she thinks about me so if I can I guess I definitely don't want to get rejected so I want to see if she's and I'd like to go out with Paul so then I can go okay I'll go ask her. So here I am at this talk or whatever. Um, uh, this is what's happening. But my mind, my attention is interested in what she's saying about me. I'm hoping she's talking about me in this other room. So I'm straining to hear through the walls to hear what this lady's saying about me. Yeah. Now if someone says, Paul, you're here like we did today. They give you the information. You're here now, this and that. But it doesn't really matter to me because my interest and attention is wanting to hear about that babe. Yeah. It's very difficult to break. But as soon as I hear her say, oh, I really like that guy, Matt, and my name is Paul, by the way, I lose interest in it immediately. I do not have to take a workshop to lose interest in it. I don't have to read a book to lose interest in it. It's just as soon as I recognize it's not about me, I lose interest in it. If you can entertain the thoughts that are running through your head all day, they may not be about you. They may not be, you have may not been the thinker of them. You will lose interest in them. And you cannot lose interest or attention. You just lose in what, you lose attention or the attention gets removed from that object. You have an infinite amount of attention, and you have a lot of interest. There's a huge amount. So it's not, you don't lose any, you just lose it from that it object. Detaches. You gain it in a way. Exactly. It gets freed up, and you can, you can live it instead of having it t- constantly just being absorbed in thoughts about what's not happening. Yeah. And then you'll feel like you're alive, and I'll tell you, that's a big antidote to a lot of your problems. If you actually felt you were alive, you're the way you would see problems would be quite different. It's very difficult to see a dead problem when you're dead. <laughs> you know, it has a lot of meaning. But when you're actually alive, what you didn't think you could dance with before, you may be able to dance quite well with. So when the second question we were talking about, well, how do you hold a problem? Well, then that problem and the whole group of problems in my life are kind of like those women in the other room where our attention is straining to solve those problems. And so, in that way, we've kind of like cut ourselves off from the life force, or in a way, that's a deadness. Well, the thing is, for me, while you're dealing with all those problems, you're not dealing with the original problem, which is a misidentification. So, it, that misidentification is going con- to con- continually beget problems. So, you'll have a lot of problems in your life, and you'll, no matter if you solve them or not, they'll still be more common. But because... The, the, let's, I would say the original problem is like a, a row of knots. So let's say I don't have much money and I, my girlfriend left and this and that. So the row of knots of my life are all these topics, security, you know, ambitions, really? plans, relationships. And so sometimes I, I concentrate on one of the knots. I'll, do, I'll try to work on that and I, maybe I get a little bit of release. 
And so I tell everyone about that workshop or that book. And then a month later, it tightens up again. I say, oh, that book sucked, and don't go to that workshop, you know. But I found, in my experience, that these things keep unknotting and knotting. But there is the first knot, and to me, the first knot is misidentification. I believe I'm something that I'm not. And that causes me to be at the effect of the system of mind called self-centeredness. When I told the truth that I wasn't this thing called self, that knot has a thread that goes through all the knots of my life. And like Jesus Christ, I think, was, he supposedly said, I don't know what he said, you'll know the tree by its fruits. So by looking at my life in the last 15 years, the fruits that have occurred point out to a damn very good tree. And so you'll know the tree by the fruits. And then another way to say it is like maybe the, uh, the original knot is kind of wants an, an, to be anonymous. And so it keeps throwing these other knots and say, hey, work with this first and don't look at of me. Of course it does. Don't look at me. No, it doesn't want oh, to be anonymous. anonymous. It wants to be you. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great if it was anonymous. It's constantly proclaiming it's you every freaking day. Oh, gosh. Wow, now it really flew by. I, uh... I don't know I, if this me really has a good feeling for you or uh, uh, if this is something, again, I invite you to call, call our number and uh, come out to Forest Park and talk directly to Paul and, uh, and me. And we've got a lot of things happening with the Never Not Here website and we do webcasts and so on. But uh, I just can't get enough of this invitation and I, and I can't really seem to give it out enough, you know, I just have an enormous urge to uh, talk about this and just talk about traveling lighter and talk to people like Paul and, and uh, so I, I hope you relate to it, uh, <laughs> but uh, so anyhow, Thank you for your time and you know, for, for taking me up on this this invitation to come come out to Chicago and talk to talk to who, who's here. I think that uh, you know this is a great opportunity. I love the the, the Can TV and Channel 19. It's uh, really uh, pleased to be here. Thank you for having us. You have to see the hilarity of this place. You have to see the hilarity of it. <laughs> <laughs>